Welcome to the sixth episode of Behind the Scenes at Blenheim Palace. Seeing as the clocks are due to go forward this coming weekend, I thought it would be rather fun to have a chat with John Richards. As well as being the most amazing pianist, John is also the best clockman I know. He's been looking after the clocks at Blenheim Palace for over 50 years. He definitely knows what makes us tick. On Sunday morning at 2am, the clocks go forward in the UK. So I thought tonight would be the perfect time to get John to tell us a little bit about himself and also a little bit about all the wonderful clocks that he looks after at Blenheim Palace. So John, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. Very good to be here. <laughs> you don't mean that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, John, I, before we look at the clocks, I'd, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about how, how long have you been looking after the clocks at Blenheim? Well, I was thinking about that the other day, and I think it's 55 years. Wow. Goodness yeah. me. So yes. you, must, you must have been a small child when you started. <laughs> Early 20s. Wow. Yes. And were you, were you a clock man? Is that your, your profession? Have you always been a clock man? Well, when, when I left school, um, I, I did an engineering apprenticeship, five-year engineering apprenticeship, mm -hmm. and uh, working with some very clever people, as a matter of fact. And one of them very interested in clocks and watches, and um, it rubbed off on me. Yeah, and then... After that, I did a three-year course with the British Horological Institute, and um, I was later elected fellow, and I was given a nice diploma signed by the Astronomer Royal. So that, that's really my background in clocks. Excellent. And how did you come to Blenheim? Um, I, well... By accident, like most of us, or...? No, not, not at all. <laughs> What I used to do in those days, if I was short of work, I'd look around for a large house. I mean, it's almost unbelievable to, to think this today, but I used to knock on the door and I would ask them if they had any clocks that needed repairing. And a lot of times they'd ask me in and say, well, what about this? And I'd say, yes, I can do that. And uh, I would just walk off with the clock into the night and repair it and take it back. You wouldn't believe it, would you? Good grief. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, one day I thought, well, what about Blenheim Palace? I'm sure they must have got some decent clocks. So I uh, took one of my business cards mm -hmm. and uh, took it to the gate. And it was Taffy Jones, if you remember him. I, I didn't meet him, but I've heard his name. I, I know of him. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I, I said to him, do you think there are any clocks here that want repairing? Well, he, I don't know, he said, but I'll give it to my boss and see what happens. I said, thank you very much. Anyway, a few days later, the telephone went and um, it was Paul Duffy. Do you remember? Yes, him? yeah, Paul I Duffy. do. Yes. And uh, so anyway, he said, um, well, we have got a clock here. If you'd like to come across and have a look. So I went over and... Um, they took me into the admin office and they'd got it on the table. Right. And he and his sidekick, uh, a man called... Ray Duffy. Uh, no, Huggins. Ray Huggins. No, before him. Oh, gosh. Oh, before, wow. Before him. Uh, I can't think of his name. He was... No, don't worry. No. But, uh, but anyway, they stood either side of me 
and, uh, and asked me to start. So I started to take the clock to pieces to see what okay. the problem was. And after a while, they said, right, well, we're going for lunch now and uh, we'll be back again in about an hour. I said, that's fine. So off they went. And, um, do you know, as they went out, I heard the door click and I heard it click again. And I shall never know, but I think they locked me in, you know. I, I'm sure they did. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> so surprised me. So they came back to yeah. cut a long story short. They came back and uh, and they said, well, we, we just had to make sure that you weren't somebody escaped from the local lunatic asylum. I remember saying it. <laughs> so they said, well, what about the clock? I said, well, I've cured it. So they said, very good. And a week later, I had a letter to uh, say that the Duke wanted me to do a survey of all of the clocks in the palace. And uh, and, and I took it from there. Wow. Yes. yes. Well, I think that that's fantastic because it, I've, I've always been a believer in life that if you don't ask, you don't get. And true, my it? goodness, it, it stood <laughs> you in good stead. It did. Okay, well, that's wonderful. And just as a matter of interest, which clock was it? Which one of the clocks? Was it one well, on? It was the one in the third stateroom on the pedestal in the corner. Okay, so we'll be looking at that later. So shall we? Yes. So I suggest what we do, um, we're going to start in the green drawing room. Right. Um, so we're going to go via a virtual facility that we have. And as if by magic, here we are. Oh, that's good, isn't it? In the, in the green drawing room at Blenheim. Um, and the clock we're going to look at is this one on the mantelpiece. Right. Um, so, John, tell us a little bit about that. And I'm actually going to bring up a photograph which gives um, our viewers, our listeners, a nice close shot of it. Yes. So um, let's have a let's have a peep at this. There we are. Ah, that's it. Yes. Well, that's a clock by Rabbi. Mm -hmm. Now there were and it happens to be the oldest clock in the palace. And uh, there were two or three rabbis, actually, a number of them in Paris at the time, mm -hmm. and the time is um, 1690, a long, okay. long time ago. And um, well, as you can see, it's, um, it's a marvellous looking clock, isn't it? Oh, it is, yes. It's, it's, well, and I, I have to confess that until you took me for a, a lovely walk through the palace many years ago when we spoke about clocks, and it is beautiful, but what I didn't really appreciate, because I, I, I'm a bit of an idiot sometimes, is that there's the case and then there's the clock. So yes. they're, they're kind of two separate entities, aren't they? Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, the, the, the movement is made by Rabbi, but the case itself, because it's such a fine case and because of the time, you, you see, 16, mm -hmm. yes, 1690, it's a bit late, but I, I reckon it was made by André Charles Boulle. Wow. Um, simply because of the quality of it. I mean, that must be the case. A lot of people say it's their most, that it's their favourite clock in the palace, and I can understand it. it has a kind of, well, a, a quiet dignity, doesn't it? The, yes, the way it, yes, it, it does. See what I mean? But it, um, something terrible happened to it about 20 years ago, though. We had a man, one of the people who used to wind the clocks. Yeah. He had his own technique for this. And sometimes, you know, you can't 
always wind a clock because the time is wrong or there's just some reason. And if he hadn't wound it, he used to open the door and he'd leave the front door open and then he'd walk around again and, uh, and do the necessary and close the door. Mm -hmm. Quite good, I suppose, up to a point. Well, the thing is, these rooms are pretty dark in the wintertime, winter afternoon, and sometimes with the shutters closed. Mm -hmm. And he came in and he'd, he'd forgotten about it, I'm sure, bent down to do something in the fireplace. And as he came up, his head came up underneath the door. Wow. And, uh, well, he just cut the thing off the mantelpiece. And to his credit, he put his arms out like this and he managed to save it from going down quite, quite too, too hard anyway. But it ripped the door off. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, and at the bottom of those fluted colonnades, just un underneath, there is a sort of square, a rectangular section. Yes, just there. Right there, yeah. yeah. Each side. And um, there are some little tiny bits of ormolu there, intricate mm -hmm. shape and uh, nicely mitered, lovely things. And, well, they were destroyed on one side completely, beyond okay. doing anything to it at all. So I had to make some new ones of those. Um, and I like to think you can't tell the difference, but <laughs> I don't know where you'd start. My goodness. Well, it took a while and, uh, and it broke the suspension on the clock and, and it did, uh, other damage to it as well. But anyway, the thing was, it was hushed up and I, I got it repaired and back and, and the, uh, Duke, the 11th Duke, he never found out. <laughs> You hope. <laughs> yes, I hope. Yes. <laughs> and and um, John, all these keys on the side here. Oh, um, yes. You know, presumably there, there's a, you have to have a different key for each clock, do you? Or Yes. Or yes, you do, really. And that, um, I, I mean, I'm not responsible for winding the clocks, mm -hmm. but, um, but that board has been here ever since I have. And um, uh, uh, and so if you want to work on any of the clocks, you take the board with you and, and then you've got the right key. You see, that, that's the thing. Okay, yeah. so you don't take the key, realise it's the wrong one, walk all the way back. No, it's a long walk. Oh, isn't it? it is a long walk. <laughs> so, um, John, we've got this photograph of you with David Dimbleby. Um, and he, he came to Blenheim to record for a programme called Building Britain. I believe, or, or something akin to that. Yes. So, so what are you doing in this in this photograph? What's going on here? Well, I, I showed him round and uh, introduced him to the various clocks. And then we got to this one and it wasn't working. So I said, well, it probably wants winding up. So he said, right. I said, I'll just get the key. Well, I got that board and there wasn't one of the keys that fitted at all. <laughs> Nothing like. So I said, well, I don't know. So I was trying the keys on, you see, because I, I don't wind them, as I say. And then I remembered eventually that the key to that clock is kept in a sort of bow-fronted cabinet off to the right. And uh, I went and got that and that was it. It was okay. But that's what we were doing there, messing uh, around with the keys. <laughs> John, you mentioned, um, I'm just going to go back to the previous picture because the definition is, is better. You mentioned the word ormolu. Yes. Now, again, you know, I, I hear that term time and time again. What is it exactly? Well, it's gold-plated bronze, 
So it's gilded right. bronze. That's then what it amounts to. These areas here. That's right. All the things that look like gold are actually ormolu. Actually, ormolu, yes, that's right. right. Okay. Yes. Just yes. wanted to clear that up. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to move now into the red state room. Uh, sorry, the red drawing room, in fact. Right. Um, so let's just um, move on. So bear with me a moment. And the easiest way to do this, I'm going to do it by the floor plan. So we end up not looking as though we're standing on our heads. Um, so we're in the room next door to the room we were just in. And um, there is a clock again on the mantelpiece. Right. So what can you tell us about this one, John? No, it's a long way off um, for okay. me. Okay, let's uh, bring it a little bit closer for you. Can we do that? That would be good. We can, we can, we can. If I can just find... Hold on. Ah, right. There yes. we go. <laughs> yes. Well, that's nothing to do with Van Dyck, I would say. No. <laughs> I think that's more to do with the paintings that surround it. Yes. Now, this is a clock made by Duchesne, but um, there's, there's nothing particularly interesting about the clock, apart from the fact that the dust proofing on it, because of the tight fitting case, is absolutely marvellous. And it runs for ages and ages without needing any attention, which is pretty good. You see, because at Blenheim, we have the problem that um, outside there, there is the gravel. Mm -hmm. And the people walk across the gravel as they come in, don't they? And up the steps. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and although it's hoovered every day, um, as the, the stuff floats around in the air and you can't see it. But within no, short order, you could write your name on, on the movement of the clocks. So that's not very good at all. But th this one, no, it's, a, it's better. Yeah. So John, when, when you came to Blenheim and you first did your survey of all the clocks that were there, Yes. Um, how, well, first of all, how many clocks are there or were there? Well, there's about 32. Right. I, I say about because you always kind of find another one tucked away somewhere um, around the place. But there, there are about 32 good clocks here. And were they all in working order when you came? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, half, half of them worked and the yeah. other half were in a terrible state terrible state because they used to be worked, looked after by a London firm mm -hmm. and um, Paul Duffy had tried to uh, I think he'd only recently come when I was here when I first started and um, he used to try to get them to come down to look at the clocks and they wouldn't come and then they came once and then they wouldn't come again for months oh, and, right. uh, yeah so you know there again i suppose i turned up at the right time in that respect but um but no only half of them worked and did it can you remember if this one worked or because you said it hasn't given you any particular trouble no i i can't remember much about this one really okay. um, no I, I mean i must have done it two or three times in, in in all those years but there's nothing stands out about it okay well then in which case we're going to go to the next room and okay. see what's in there <laughs> I can get it to move. There we are. So um, this is the green, green writing room. Sorry, just getting my bearings. Um, and this right. is a this is a rather splendid clock, I think, isn't it? It is. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Pedestal clock. Yes, that's lovely. It doesn't have its original movement though. Right. 
um, it's it's got one of Volume's movements. It, it, the Volume effect, now it, 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 inscribed on the back of this cock, it says Volume and Grey. Yeah. Volume was Grey's son-in-law. Okay. So so that's it. He, he married, that means he married Grey's daughter. And they had children. And yeah. And that was another volume, the next one down. And then there was a grandson, and he was a volume, of course. And uh, and so there's a three three volumes, one after the other, all clockmakers of the highest caliber, all mm -hmm. working clockmakers for the queen, uh, for the king, George III. Sorry. Oh, right. Um, so they were English clockmakers. Oh yes, yeah. Oh gosh, I didn't. Sorry, from their from the surname, for some strange reason, I assumed that they were French. Well, you're quite right because the first one who who married Gray's daughter, he he did come from France. Oh right, okay, yes. good. Yes, that's what it is. Now the thing about this clock, though, uh, they put the new movement in, but it doesn't have a striking train, so no, no mechanism for striking. Or, or chiming or anything and um, of course they kept the original winding hole in front and made a dummy winding square just to make it look good. Right okay so, so one one of these doesn't work. That's right the left hand one. That's, so, ah, yeah. okay. so, so you can only think that that must have been done so that it could be in a quiet room like um, I don't know a bedroom or a library or something like that. Right. So you didn't want it to disturb you. That's right. Yeah. And I, I again, I think, um, did they not have a little bit of a reputation amongst the stately homes? <laughs> yeah. For kind of putting work their own way. Well, they did. And, and you see, at the time, it, it was all right in a way, because they say, oh, this old French movement here, it's um, pretty delicate and on its last legs. It's been going for 150 years. Um, we, we could put a much more reliable movement in, so they put one of their own. And to be fair, they're movements of the highest quality. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, today, we wouldn't dream of doing that. I mean, uh, that's it. We try to keep every little, every little part of the movement. We do. We, yes. we try and keep, well, we, we try and stabilise and conserve, don't we, I think? Yes, and, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so um, we're moving, we're, we're skipping the saloon, the saloon because it has no clocks. No. Um, and we're going to the first stateroom where we have these two clocks. We do. Now, the one on the left. Yeah. Yes, that, um, that's by Brochet. And um, a good, uh, a, that is absolutely original, the movement. Uh, oh, apart from one wheel that I had to make, which uh -huh. is the escape wheel. Apart from that, it's absolutely original. It's been hacked about through the years. You would not believe, not by me, um, but, uh, but by, well, a succession of clockmakers. And in particular, there was somebody in the 30s who used to do some unpleasant things. And I, I blame him partly because he used to he used to scratch his name across the across the plates on the inside and that big, big, you know, big, bold writing, yeah. ugly writing. And, uh, and there you are. Anyway, that's, um, so th that's a very temperamental clock. And uh, when I first came here, I looked at it and I, I thought, well, it's very difficult to make it work. And 
I suddenly tumbled to it that the pendulum was too light. Right. So I made a larger pendulum, heavier one. It has a silk suspension. And, um, well, after that, it seemed to go pretty well. And uh, it didn't give, it, give it a lot of trouble at all. And now it's, it works ever so well. So I was quite pleased about that. But it, um, but it did need this um, new escape wheel, the crown wheel. It need, yeah, it had to have that. The old one was virtually worn out and it had run through so many times mm -hmm. that it, that, yeah, so there we are. John, and when the, you... Yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no, go on. No, no, I was coming to the one on the right, so you, you said... Okay, so. so, okay, quickly before we move, you say that it now has a silk suspension. Yes. What, what does that mean? Oh, well, um, at the top of most pendulums, you mm. will see a, a thin spring. And right. that is called the suspension spring because the pendulum is suspended from it. Ah, okay. And that allows it to, it flexes and allows the pendulum to move backwards and forwards. And, um, and for certain delicate clocks with, um, that, that don't have a lot of power and that, quite a lot of French clocks are like that, they have, they have um, a silk suspension and, um, and there's, there's absolutely no, there's no resistance with that, so mm -hmm. that it just swings backwards and forwards. The spring doesn't add to it at all, right. if you understand okay. me. If, yep. if that sense, perhaps. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, and just one last question before we move on. Roughly what sort of period is that clock on the left? That's Louis XIV. Oh, gosh, so that's another very, very old one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, you see, these things would be in a museum... And, uh, and they would sit there and do nothing. But um, you see, the, the old Duke, he used to like everything running, if they could be. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the present Duke feels the same. So uh, I think that's it. You know, we, we keep them going. And it, it is rather lovely because I know as, as visitors walk through and, you know, many a time I've been you know, spouting about something or another and, and the clocks will chime. And it's just lovely to stand and listen to them. Yes. Yes, especially this one on the right, that um, that has eight bells, yeah, and, and, and it's musical, isn't it? And uh, and it rings on the quarters, yeah. And, and you often see people hanging around waiting for it. You know, it's nice to see. Yeah, very nice indeed. Very nice indeed. Okay, so shall we move on to the next room, John? Yes. So nothing in the second stateroom, and then that brings us on to the third stateroom where we we have lots yes <laughs> yes we do so what can you tell me about this this clock that's the uh, uh, sorry i just have to oh yes right that's a pedestal clock in the corner isn't it <clears throat> it is yeah indeed well that's quite a late clock actually 19th century clock and um the thing that distinguishes it from almost any other clock in the palace i think is that it has Arabic numerals. Oh gosh, yes. Yes, that, that's somewhat unusual. And, uh, and it's made by Rabbi. <laughs> but it's, of course it's a, a different Rabbi from the one we were talking about before. But, and um, yes, that, now that's the one that I was working on. Uh, we didn't see the Channel 4 uh, bit, did we? With the one, the one Hold with... on. Oh, look there. At that. there we are. So, as if by magic, John. 
That was well done, wasn't it? Wasn't it just? <laughs> well, that's it. Now, they asked me if, if there's anything that I could show them um, on, on, um, uh, on camera. So I said, well, I, yes, there is a clock that's not working. We could take it to pieces. So they thought that was a very good idea. So I took it to pieces and put all the parts on a plate, a dinner plate, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And then, of course, um, when we got into it, we could see those broken teeth on the barrel. Just, and, yeah, just, just there. there. That's it. Yeah. That, that's it. That's where the mainspring must have broken. And um, then, then you get this tremendous release of power and it goes mm -hmm. sonk like that. Wow. And, uh, and it breaks the teeth. So the only solution to that is to make a new bottom for the barrel, a new ring of teeth. And, um, and that's what I had to do. But I have to say that I have seen people on television fairly recently straightening up teeth with a screwdriver and then uh, putting it all back together again. Well, that's not the way to go, really. It depends where, where, you know, there are certain wheels within the clock where you would get away with it, mm -hmm. but you, you certainly wouldn't with the barrel. Gosh. And this, I mean, when you, you, you just, it just rolls off your tongue, really. You say, I had to make a new one. And yes. it, it, it looked hellishly complicated to me. Oh, well, it is. <laughs> so you must have presumably lots of special tools and equipment and... Yes. Or, yeah. Yes, Gosh. you have to... That, that's right. You have to have the right equipment. But yeah, you get you get it hot, and uh, take the end off. The end is soldered on, you see, and almost always, and that comes off. And then you've got got that, and uh, you measure it very carefully and uh, make a new blank. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, obviously, the winding arbor has to go through the middle, and uh, you have to accommodate the spring. Uh, there's quite a lot to it, really. And then you cut the teeth on the outside with the right size cutter. Mm -hmm. and uh, the right number of teeth and uh, and put it back together and, and that's it i mean really if i live to be a hundred i'll never understand how clocks work uh, the, these these wonderful little things that tell us what the time is how they measure the time it's just incredible no just it's incredible yes yeah i think you're right and then to be able to fix them when they go wrong is is even more so well um John, we're, we're going to stay in the third stateroom right. um, because I really love this clock. Oh, yes. Yes, this clock. Do you know anything about this clock? Yes, I do. <laughs> now, what could what you tell me about it then? Well, I know that you had a few problems with it when you came to Blenheim. Yes. Um, and I think, it, you, oh, I want to use the word oscillation, but then I'm afraid that I'm not using it in the right context. No, you're right. So, so you, oh, there was something the matter with that. Yes. I remember you showed me this talk and you said, and what do you think I should have done to fix it? And I thought, I've got no idea. <laughs> but I, I'm just going to see if I can get a better close-up um, yeah. of it because okay. um, it it merits it, I think. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Bear with me a moment. Let me see if I can turn us round. There we are. And I should be able to zoom in a little bit. There we are. Oh, that's very good. Yes. That's a bit better. It is. Okay. There. Yeah. Right. So what do you want to tell me about this amazing pendulum that if you look really closely, 
it's like a sunburst with a, a face, isn't it? It is. It's a lovely sunburst. Yeah. And I think it's probably the face of Louis XIV, it mm -hmm. would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, when, when I came here, um, the clock used to gain. Right. And that's all it would. It kept gaining a tremendous amount. And they said it, it gains all the time. I said, oh, yes. All right. I thought I'll just go and drop the pendulum bob down the, uh, the, the, uh, the sunburst bit turn a screw at the, a nut at the bottom which you would do and uh, drop it down a bit but um when when i came to look at it uh you couldn't do that because it was already almost scraping the bottom of the case oh gosh yeah so then of course when i looked a bit a bit closer it had a replacement movement put in mm -hmm. and uh, obviously it required a longer pendulum really and uh, and it couldn't be accommodated in this case Right. So the solution that I came up with was to um, to put a piece of lead in the lower part of the uh, that's beneath the centre of the sunburst, mm -hmm. the bob. Yeah, not not round the whole thing, but in the bottom bottom half. And what that does that lowers the centre of oscillation of the pendulum, so effectively lengthening it without actually altering its length. Right, okay. But yeah. I, I, I think that's ingenious. And whenever I see this clock, because it's, it's so beautiful and it's so intricate, and yes. particularly the pendulum, and then I think of this great blob of lead on the back. Yes, that, that's it. Uh, all, all carefully cut so that you can't see it. And absolutely, absolutely. But you know, I like this clock. I, yeah. I think it's, um, it, it's attractive, very attractive. Who's, who's it by? Um, Touré. Touré, okay. Yes. Okay. Right, so we're going to move from the third stateroom and we're actually going to go into um, the Great Hall and right. look at some of the clocks there. So again, by the magic of, um, <laughs> <laughs> the magic of IT, yeah. here we are. Let's see where this takes us. Probably the wrong place. Bear with me a moment. I'm going to start a little bit. I'm going to start in the Klosterman corridor. There we are. So we're just by this. I want to call it a grandfather clock. Yes. Well, you can. <laughs> Thank um, you. But they, they rather snootily call them long case clocks. They do indeed. They yes. do indeed. Yes. Um, and I think, am I right in saying it's the oldest long case clock that we have? Yeah, I Lenham. think it is. There's, yeah. there's one in the Undercroft, which is about the same age, actually. Right. Seddon, that is. But, um, but yes, well, the thing about this one, it's a three train clock. So that it, um, it, it uh, on, the, on the quarters, it plays a bit of a tune. And right. on bells and people listen to it and, and like it. It has a wooden pendulum, which is quite good. You don't get too much, too much expansion on there when it gets hot. So timekeeping is better. Mm -hmm. So that's good. But uh, it used to have a fault years ago. Well, and more recently, as a matter of fact, whereby it would go pretty well for months and months and months and then all of a sudden it would start striking and it wouldn't stop 
So it would be going clang, clang, clang. And of course, the guides and the people walking around, they're fed up with it, and you can imagine. And um, anyway, I, I know exactly what caused it. it, it, it but um, it's when the striking wreck, I don't want to be too technical about it, but mm -hmm. it's when the striking wreck drops down behind the snail and gets stuck there. And then the gathering pallet can't lift it back up again. Um, but that used to happen when someone had forgotten to wind it or they wound it to one of the weights too far. So I oh. came up with a reasonable idea of putting some little marks on the weights. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if you line those up, every time you wound it, it, it oh. seemed to work quite well. And um, since then, it's been all right, as a matter of fact. It's a nice clock, though. It is. It, it's, yes. well, again, it, it's beautiful. Yes. John, while I think about it, you mentioned um, earlier um, a, a former uh, clock man, for want of a better word, who, who used to leave his name written across. Yes. Uh, in, do you ever leave any hint of when you've been inside a clock because I know and um, you know, I think the thing is that even if not today in a hundred years time someone will look at inside the clock and go oh that was that Don Richards good chat yes. that's him again <laughs> yes um I, I almost never do because I've always thought it was megalomania. I know I'm in the minority over this because people yeah. do put the yeah. But what I have done, I I've very very carefully and with an eyeglass, and so small that you need an eyeglass to see it, and, and very neatly, in probably two of the clocks in the palace, I've just uh, put my name so that it's there, and uh, and that's all. But I don't normally do that at all. No. No, actually, well. I think it's it's a wonderful thing myself. Um, we're just going to go around the corner very carefully and I'm going to try to avoid banging into a wall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you should see me drive. Um, and again, in this little recess, we've I again wondered if it was a, a grandmother clock as opposed to a grandfather but it, in fact it's a very special timepiece isn't it it is yes it's a regulator right now um, a regulator um its sole purpose is for telling the time so it's not a clock really it's a timepiece mm -hmm. and um and that's all it does it t tells the time and all of the energy and craftsmanship and everything goes into making sure that it tells time as well as it can. So there's never any striking mechanism. Mm -hmm. There's never any date or anything like that. It, it's just just the time, that's all. So it's, in, in a way, it's, it's purely functional. It's not ornamental. Um, it's not meant to sound pretty or look. In fact, the case doesn't even look particularly pretty, does it? That's right. They're pretty severe very mm. often, but of course that, that that lends a kind of elegance in itself, doesn't yeah. it? But yeah. Really, this one is um, a, a marvelous clock. Really, it was by John Shelton. Mm -hmm. Now Shelton was a man who made a lot of the instruments and uh, regulators, certainly uh, that that oh. went with Captain Cook to observe the transit of Venus, which oh, was. Yes, that was in the middle of the um, 18th century. I've forgotten the dates exactly, but uh, they 
took the uh, regulator, set it up on the uh, on the beach, so to speak, mm-hmm. and uh, put a covering over it, a sort of tent, to keep the natives away, and uh, and, and and that's what they did. And um, and the thing is, Shelton made all this stuff, and it, absolutely beautiful workmanship. And he also made a great many of George Graham's clocks. In fact, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're familiar with George Graham's clocks, intimately familiar, and with Shelton, they're indistinguishable. And, uh, and there we are. But the sad thing is, towards the end of Shel- Shelton's life, he, he, he ran out of money. He was absolutely penniless. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote to the king, George III, to uh, ask for money to see if he could help him out. To, and I, I, nobody knows whether the king helped him or not. But what a thing for a man who'd made this wonderful stuff. You know, yeah. sad, isn't it? Yeah, really sad. Really, really sad. sad. But um, a couple of things about the, the slide here. So on the left, there's a note um, that it's a regulator by Shelton. It goes for a month, etc. Oh, yeah. um, and then it's dated the 18th of December, 88. And I'm guessing that's 1888 rather than um, 1988, because it's not you, it's not your writing, is it? It's not my writing. Um, no, I, I, yes, that's 18, it must be 1888. Yes, it must be. Yeah, and it, it's very- Well, it definitely is, yes. Yeah, um, and it's very particular about one turn of the nut at the bottom of the pendulum will alter the clock about 30 seconds in 24 hours. It's, yes. it's so well, precise. Well, you see, that's very useful information. Mm-hmm. If, if you're trying to bring the clock to time, um, that, that is very useful. I mean, today we use electronics, of course, but um, it, I don't know, a little, a little while ago, 30 years ago and before, we probably wouldn't be using that. Yeah, that makes a huge, huge difference. Yes. And, and the pendulum is it's pretty spectacular on this as well, isn't it? Oh, well, yes, that's... Um, Yes, that's a gridiron pendulum, they call that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was invented by John Harrison, the chronometer man, you know, uh, longitude. And um, yeah, there, there are nine rods on a gridiron pendulum, um, five of steel and four of brass. And the idea is that as the, pe- as the temperature increases and the pendulum get, would get longer, and so the clock would lose, well, well, as that happens, so the the brass rods, they expand upwards. And so effectively, the bob, the, the round bit at the bottom, mm-hmm. that remains in the same place. And so mm-hmm. that affords the temperature compensation. Wow. And it's very clever. There, there were two or three different systems. There, there was another one um, that, that had a, a mercury jar at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't quite so good because the thing about this is there's a big surface area there and that allowed the air to get to it quickly and it would respond quickly. So that was that was the best of the lot, really. It's, you see, it, again, it never occurred to me until I met you um, that the pendulums would be different, etc., etc., etc. And so, you know, you've mentioned the wooden one. We're now looking at a gridiron iron pendulum and we're about to meet another different sort. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that fellow then? Well I, I recognise him. So, so this is another reg- little bit, bit of a walk down the hall 
um, another regulator. And there you are, you're quite right. Look, there's the keyboard next to you. So you've, you've gone equipped with all your necessary keys. That's it. Um, so tell me about this one, about the Holmes regulator. Yes. Well, that, that has a glass pendulum, as you can see. And, um, and, and that's a spare. That's a, well, no, what I ought to say is when I first came there, um, it used to gain, again, like the other clock. And, and it gained and gained. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I really can't see any way to regulate it. Um, stop it gaining. I really couldn't. And uh, in the end, I got a torch, looked down in the bottom, and that nice ball that you can see, and uh, and quite a big piece. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And you, if you take that up a bit further, just underneath, no further still. Yeah. Yes, just underneath there, it was broken off like a carrot. Just, <laughs> and it was lying in the bottom of the case. So somebody had um, <coughs> broken it off and said nothing. So, well, that was it. I had to get a new piece of glass, and um, that, that was quite a quite an undertaking, really. Mm -hmm. I I bought a piece of Pyrex from a firm up in Stourbridge, I think it was. That's a yeah. set for glass blowing here, and. Um, they they said well it would said well it would cost and do you know to send it to me in in a crate was going to cost far more than actually the rod itself. So and they, yes, and they had a minimum order as well, an invoice order. So I said, well, in that case, can I have two rods in? So so they said yes, all right, we that's perfectly all right. So I had the two. That gave me a second chance, and I had to grind. They're tapered, all these fittings that fit on onto the rod. So I had to grind these reverse tapers and things on it. Quite a, quite a job at the time. And that in the corner and the thing that I was holding is actually the original one. So I put that in the corner and there we are. And I've, I've got a spare at home. So oh, that, that's useful. Good. <laughs> Well, we're going to, again, we're staying in the Great Hall. There are several clocks in this area. And yeah. we're, we've just turned the corner now. We're at the bottom of the stairs. And uh, there's this enormous, enormous great big clock, which you told me was how roughly how high? Well, it's eight feet. It's wow. Eight, it's exactly eight feet high. And the, and the dial is 40 inches diameter. And... Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's the biggest one in the world because that would be ridiculous, but it's a contender for sure. Mm. I mean, that, that's massive, really, for a tavern clock. And what, what is a tavern clock? Well, I mean, they very often call them active parliament clocks. And, and that's because William Pitt, you know, the prime minister, yeah, yeah he, he was always looking for ways to raise money. I mean, the window tax is another example. And so he was going to, what he was going to do was charge everybody a tax on their clocks and watches. Now, I don't know whether it was a one-off or whether it was supposed to be annual, um, but it didn't go down very well. Uh, but the idea was that people would probably sell their clocks and watches and then go along to the local hostelry where one of these clocks an act of parliament clock, as they called them, mm -hmm. uh, would be there. And, and you would see what the time was. 
and have a pint or something while you were there and then then come back again um but it, but it was repealed within the year so so that was that and these clocks were made over probably five decades so really you can more accurately call it a tavern clock i think right okay but it, it's quite again it's quite something Is it, has it given you any bother over the years no Lord. no no, no the difficulty is taking it down off the wall. Because, oh gosh. No, that, is, that really is very difficult. I mean, today they tend to use scaffolding for everything and that, but we used to do it with two, um, two ladders, one each mm -hmm. side, and uh, two people up the ladders, one at the bottom to catch it if all else failed. And, and, and that's what we used to do. The thing is, nobody quite knows when it came to the palace, you know or anything much about it. But the story is that it came from Woodstock Town Hall. Oh. But, but, but just how, I, I don't know. Gosh, <laughs> yeah. that's interesting. Yes. Wow. Okay, well, again, still keeping in the Great Hall. Let's go to the, the next, if I can get it to move, right. the next one. And I, I, this is a little bit misleading if, if you're not familiar with Blenheim, in that, um, the clock on the left is directly opposite this contraption that you can see on the right. Um, but they're rather splendid, aren't they? They certainly are. Yes, they were made by Negretti and Zambra. Mm -hmm. And they, they, were, they weren't really clockmakers at all. Um, they, they made the odd one. Well, I suppose they could make anything, but they were really scientific instrument makers. They used to make barographs and they... Uh, meteorological stuff they specialised in, but they would also make things for taking. They made a th thing for uh, and invented it for taking the temperature at the bottom of the sea. Now, I mean, that wouldn't have been an easy thing through the nineteenth century, I suppose. No. Not much, yeah, not much trouble today, but there we are. And they were in business for well, well over a hundred years, and they, they stopped. Well, I don't know about nineteen fifty, I think, or something. Yeah. And we're, we're, I'm going to um, look at the back of the clock or the. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, yes. in, in a moment. But I, I, I was always fascinated by the wind direction thing. Well, and it must have a proper name, I'm sure. This well, contraction wind indicator, I suppose that's all. There we are, a wind direction indicator. And yes. again, if you, if you come to Blenheim and you stand behind that. Um, wall, you can see a, an iron contraption that goes out onto the roof, doesn't it? Yes. Um, and it used to be attached to a weather vane, which has since been sold or has disappeared. So it no longer shows the direction. That's right. It's a, it's a pair of bevel gears just behind the dial there. And, and then this shaft goes up, as you say. And I did hear... Um, I don't know, about 40 years ago, that it was the architect didn't like the weather vane. No! Yeah, well, that's what I heard. But, of course, that might be completely wrong, but I heard that. But there you are. Tell you what, when, when I first came here again, um, I noticed that uh, just on the inside of those numerals... On the clock? Yes, on the clock. Yeah. Yes, just there. Yeah, just the bottom of the... Yeah, no, yeah. The, other end, the other end of them. That's oh, right, the yeah. End. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> I noticed that they'd been scuffed 
and uh, you can see that they were gradually getting fainter and fainter. And I thought, well, I don't know what that is, and it puzzled me for a long time. I thought maybe the hands were fouling on the dial, which could happen. Right. So I got up and had a look, and that wasn't the case. And um, in the end, what it turned out to be, when, when they, they forget to wind the clock and it wants altering, they would come round with a stick about a yard long, and on the end of it there was a piece of leather, and that was tied on with a bit of string, and he'd just go round and round like this, and, um, uh, and that, that was it. You see, it was gradually wearing the numerals away. So after, <laughs> so after a bit of discussion, we decided to have the dials restored. Mm -hmm. So that both those dials were restored by a man who lived about a mile from where I live. Oh, right, okay. And he was an old man at the time, and my goodness, that, do you know that's the best bit of dial restoration I think I've ever seen. It's, it's a superb job. Well, they, they look, I, I think both of them are absolutely stunning to, they are, to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's just have a look at the back, because again, um, particularly the way they're positioned, it just looks as though, you know, I've got a clock in my kitchen that I just hang on the wall. Yes. And that's all there is to it. But there's a oh, bit more to, to that, isn't yeah. there? Oh, well, there, there we are. Uh, well... That's it. We're looking at the back of the clock and the movement is, is here. Um, that's, that's here? That's it. Yeah. That's the movement itself. And then, of course, there's a shaft that runs through the wall um, and onto the back of the dial. And, um, w yeah, I had some trouble with that in, in the past. I, I've, I've overhauled it twice. Mm-hmm in all that time, which is pretty good when you think of it, but it stopped on one occasion and um, the, the mainspring had broken. And, right. Well, you wouldn't believe how big the mainspring, it doesn't need to be, but the mainspring in there is in a barrel about the size of a treacle tin and, it, and it's massive. Wow. What had happened, it had broken in the middle, rather like that other one, and um, it had split the barrel. And if you so look the force had just blown it apart. Yeah, that's it. just like an explosion. It, it, it just explodes out and uh, it, it, had, it had split almost right the way down to the bottom. Well, that's not very nice. And also, if a spring breaks in the middle, that's a very difficult thing to repair, especially a spring like that. Mm -hmm. And there was no way at the time I could get a new spring. I'm not sure where you would now, as a matter of fact. So I had to repair the spring. Having done that, I thought, right, what do I do with the barrel? Well, I probably could have silver soldered it or something, then the end would have dropped off and there, there are all sorts of things. I thought, no, I don't want to get it too hot and, and that. So I thought a good reversible solution would be to make a sleeve for it. Mm -hmm. so I made a thin sleeve out of brass, Probably, well, a mill millimetre and a half thick, I suppose. It's pretty thin and difficult to do, as a matter of fact. Mm. And I force that over the barrel, and it's highly polished, and it looks like the old one. And if anybody wants to come along in the future for any reason and alter it, they can quietly f saw it off 
and then start again. So, so that's it. And that's been going now for well, 30 years since then. So, so there we are. And John, didn't you discover that it, it wasn't quite what, um, was it Chris, the man from Christie's thought it was? Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that, that was very funny. Yes, it's the, um, it's the inventory. Have you ever seen the inventory? I, I, I want to say I have, but I wouldn't swear to it. <laughs> well, no. Well, it's a big book and I've not seen it, but it's mm -hmm. and everything in the palace is in it. Now, I suppose these days it would be, there'd be an electronic copy and that would be that. But it was it, it, a big book with everything. And it was written down and the, the man had it with him, you see, but who came from, I thought it was Sotheby's, but it could have been Christie's. Um, and, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> well, I don't know. But I, I walked around with him. Uh, uh, just to hear what he had to say. Very interesting man. He knew all about these cases and and the, the figures on top of the clocks. And, uh, and he, he was very knowledgeable indeed, as you'd expect him to be. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he was saying what he reckoned they were worth at that present time. And then he walked past the Negretti and Zambra and he said, oh yes, that, that's it, weight-driven more clock, and walked on. I said, hang on, I said, weight-driven? I said, where are the, so I said, come round. So I opened the door and I said, well, where are the weights in? And he looked at it and laughed. He said, well, he said, that's what it says in the inventory. So he'd just been going around ticking things, I reckon. But I think you could yeah. be right. So he put it right then. <laughs> John, can I just ask you one more thing before yeah. we move from here? Yes. Um, you... And forgive me, when we were looking at one of the, the earlier clocks, the, the disc at the bottom of that vertical pendulum yes. is called what? The bob. The bob. So, again, forgive my ignorance, I thought the stick and the round thing were the pendulum, but they're not. They are. Oh, they, they are. are. <laughs> and they comprise a bob, a rating nut, um, the spring at the top, the suspension spring, and that's all together, they are the pendulum. Ah, right, okay, excellent. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're, we're going to go outside in a moment, but before we do, we're just going to look in one final room um, of the palace. And I, I feel, given that it's Churchill's birthplace, then we should do that. Oh, that's so very nice. There, there's a photograph on the right of the birth room, so where Winston Churchill was born. Yeah. And you can just see on the bedside table, there's this clock. Um, and again, it's it's a rather special clock, isn't it? It is, yes. Yes, it, it was made by, was it the Ninth Duke it was said to be made by? No, I think if it's 1887, which is the date that we see there, it was his father, yeah. the Eighth Duke. Oh, so the Eighth Duke, is it? Yeah, it was Winston Churchill's uncle. Right. Okay. Well, yes. Well, he didn't make the movement, but he made the outside part, which is a wonderful thing. Um, gentlemen in those days used to, um, very often, they would buy a thing called a Holtzapfel ornamental turning lathe, and it was very popular. And they used to make little tiny things and bits and pieces, um, highly decorated. And very, 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 very clever to you to use this lathe at all. Lots of attachments there were, and you would put them on, and they would uh, they would engrave rosettes on things, and that out of ivory or bone usually, 
and that that is supposed to have been made by the duke and if it, and it's a wonderful wonderful thing but the yes. movement itself was made by dent and the, the maker of big ben of course so we have something in common obviously with big ben yes yes that's <laughs> right yes i'm <laughs> delighted well so i just i know it you know it's quite small compared to lots of the other clocks in the palace but but i think it's it's pretty special in its own right it is we're going to move outside um and this is probably the the grandest of all the clocks um, in terms of size if if nothing else um and it has four faces doesn't it it does but it with does. one movement is that right yes that's correct yeah yes you you have the movement itself and then you have what are called leading off rods. Okay. Well, John, I'm just going to stop you there because we're, we're going to have a picture of those and you, you can talk talk about them. But I just wanted to point out to people that are watching this that, you know, there's the clock face with the coronet to indicate that it's a, a duke. Um, and then underneath here we have this glass is it a window or a door, one or the other. Um, and that's where all the the working is, isn't it? Um, that's the, the business side of it all. Yes, that's right. So we're going to, and again, I'm very, very, very fortunate. Um, my little room is on the stairs as you go up to the clock. And John, you'd always promised me that one day you would knock on my door and see if I was in and take me up there. And you did. <laughs> um, and I, I just took these pictures on my phone. So this is inside that area with the glass door that we were just looking at. And below, I'm right, below the faces of the clock. Um, and then you tell me what, what we find in that room. Yes, well, here we are. This is the movement. Um, it was made by Langley Bradley uh, in 1710. Yeah. So it, it was built, it was put there at the same time that the palace was built. It's completely, you know, in keeping with the, the dates of the palace. Yes, that's, that's right. And we know it's 1710 because, as a matter of fact, it's stamped in the ironwork of the frame. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so there it is. Now, Langley Bradley, it's a very rare clock because there aren't very many Langley Bradleys still in existence. Now, he was a friend of Sir Christopher Wren's and, mm -hmm. and he made the clock for um, Westminster Abbey, the first one, yeah, before it was burnt down, you know, the first. And the other way, no, that's the other way round. It must have been after the Great Fire of London. Mm -hmm. Yes, when it was built again, yes. And he made the clock for it. And, and it was a massive thing, apparently. Um, sort of, uh, I've heard it's sort of eleven feet high. The movement and uh, absolutely massive, but but ours is more manageable size, and it's got some lovely turning on the corners, and it, it's a beautiful thing. Those fleur de lis pieces, absolutely lovely, aren't they? Hold on, ah, oh, now let's see. Ah, you can see them better in this photograph. Um, but I'll go back to the previous one, though, because um, I'd like you, if you would, to tell me what this key is doing here. What does that do? Does that wind it? Oh, no, no, that doesn't wind it. Um, no, that alters the hands. 
Okay. Uh, and well, the thing is, as a matter of fact, that's I don't know why it's stuck on there like that, but I, I made that, um, and it's a, pretty much an exact copy from memory of the old one. And the old one has been here as, ever as long as anybody can remember. And I went up to do something to the clock, oh, I don't know, about a year ago, and couldn't find the handsetter. And no, nobody knew where it was. And we left it for a few weeks and no, nobody could find it. So I've had to make another. Uh, I, I did I did laugh a bit because somebody suggested um, buying one online. <laughs> I wonder what you'd have to put into the search criteria. <laughs> I don't know. But he decided it wasn't metric. And, uh, and I thought, no, it jolly well isn't. Uh, no, I bet. 17.10. But, but anyway, I had to make, a, make another one, and that's it. And, uh, and there we are. No, to wind the clock, you have to have a thing. There's a thing in there somewhere, usually kept underneath. Ah, there we are. That's it. There we are. This, that, this thing that's, here. That's it. That's a winding jack, they call that. And you put that onto the squares. Yes, onto there. that. Yeah. And then there's a big handle that goes onto the square on the winding jack. You can mm -hmm. see. Yeah, and that's about 18 inches long, and and you you know you wind it up. Yeah, pretty hard going. John, is there is there just do you just wind it at one point, or or is there more than one? Is oh no, that you wind three. You wind three. Yes, uh, three. The one in the middle that you can see. Um, that controls the that that drives the going as it's called. That's the timekeeping. Yeah. Then the one on the right is the chime, and the one on the left is the hour. It's the other way round. The one on the right is the hour. One on the left is the chime. Okay. So it's it's the equivalent of looking at a clock that has two well three winding squares. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's just that. Yes. I put some new cables on that 10 years ago and that's the first time in living memory that wow. been, yeah that was quite a difficult job though really because trouble is you see you can't get any scaffolding up the top at all um, there's just um, no room i mean the sides of the yeah the sides of the uh, uh, of the tower once you get up there there's no room for anything apart from a man to shin up like a monkey and that's, that's what you do, isn't it? it well, yes, that's it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I had a, an assistant at the bottom and, and I, I was at the top doing all the necessary. And that, that, that was a job, terrible job. But, but that, that's done now. We shan't be looking at that again, I'm sure. Um, one last thing before, before we we move on um so again i i mentioned it has four faces yes and, and again you know until i spoke to you um i always thought it it was four separate clocks but it's not is it no it isn't no there's a there's a vertical rod that goes up from this movement i i, I could uh, i can't quite see it no okay but but it's there and it goes up to the top to to a bevel gear cluster and uh, and from that the leading off rods go out sideways to three of the dials mm -hmm. but 
The fourth dial is down at this level, and, oh. and that goes out the back. Yeah. Oh goodness! Do you know I'd never noticed <laughs> that there are different levels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hang my head. <laughs> well, I think on that note, I'm going to just give you all a treat. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and there, that's the pendulum, isn't it? I hope. That is. Excellent. Well, um, John, what, that was that was fabulous. We've had some questions come in, if, if you would spare us a few more moments. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. So, um, Graham Lindy from Fauler said, when the clocks go forward, as they you to do, does one person change all the Blenheim Palace clocks? And if so, how long does it take? Oh, right. Well, um, yes, that's a good question, isn't it? it? It is one person who does it. It isn't me. I'm, I'm not responsible for um, putting the clocks on or for winding them. But the man who does it, um, I suppose, you see, they're all in the same place, aren't they, really? They're, yeah. They're all yeah, it's a bit of a walk, but it's not too bad. So I think you could do it in an hour and a half, I would think. Okay. Easily. And so does that mean that this Sunday at 2am you'll be fast asleep in your bed? You won't be getting up, changing any clocks? Well, I, sh I shall be fast asleep at 2am, I hope, but I shall be getting up at 7 uh, in Oxford and then I shall be Walking round, I've got a few tower clocks that I have to change. And of course, trouble with that is they're not all in the same place like Blenheim, where you could just walk from room to room. Uh, I, I have a fair bit of walking to do. And uh, the first one would be New College. Right. And I have to climb up 73 steps to get to the movement and, and then back down again. Uh, and then I leave my car in New College and walk round to Queen's. Mm -hmm. And then it's a question of uh, staircases and ladders and hatches and things uh, to do that one. And then um, after that, I retrieve my car and I drive around to the Oxford University Press. And that's uh, staircases again and a vertical ladder and some hatches and things oh, and do that. And then uh, home for coffee then. I, I suppose because they're old clocks. Yes, you know, that's why it's hatches and ladders and steps and and difficult angles and things, isn't it? Yes, yeah. well, big, yes, big wow. installations, you see, and the OUP one is a, another volumey, and uh -huh. that was eighteen thirty seven. That was installed. It's yes. almost brand new, isn't it? Well, it is, yes. <laughs> so, John, um, so some other questions, if I yes. may. Yes. So De Debbie Millard has asked a, a couple of questions and I'll, I'll, um, I'll put them to you. So do you think clocks have individual personalities? I think in a way they do, you know. Um, it, it, yeah, there's not much doubt about that. E even winding them up, you find, oh, yes, I'm, uh, that's very definitely the case. When you, when you wind them up, you, you'll get to know that one on one, the right hand one might be stiffer than the left to do or something. And then there are some that will keep time for ages and ages. And then all of a sudden they make a step change and then you mess around with them for ages and then they're all right again. That's the one on my mantelpiece, incidentally. And uh, so I, I definitely I agree with that. Definitely. Excellent. And Debbie also says, 
who who do we have now who produces beautiful timepieces which will be treasures in years to come? You know, all the clocks we've looked at have you know been had some age to them. So who who is there anyone today that you know in two hundred three hundred years time they'll be saying yes that was a John Richards blended fellow? Well. Yes, there is. Um, there's a firm in Cheltenham, Sinclair Harding, they're called, mm -hmm. and uh, and they make some very good clocks. There's no question about it. But they make a lot of them. Um, uh, I, they do a series, as far as I can understand. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Thomas Mercer, the chronometer maker, they're they're still in business, and I don't know whether they just repair chronometers or whether they make anything. Mm -hmm. They They've been involved in making certain clocks anyway. So, so, so there are still people. It goes on, yes. Yeah, good. And then a final one from Debbie, but there are a couple more if you don't mind. No. Um, Debbie says she's heard talks about Big Ben and believes that money coins are used to adjust the time. Um, do we have any clocks at Blenheim like that? Well, uh, we don't, but, um, okay. but, but we could. Um, because we could put, f funny thing, the Langley Bradley turret clock, our, our tower clock, mm -hmm. I used to put um, small weights on top of the pendulum because it's, it's a large circle and when you get to the top near the rod, uh, it lends itself to dropping things on. Um, but unfortunately, the timekeeping is not really good enough to require that kind of uh, uh, precision, really. Okay. Right, thank you. So then we have Mandy Rodway and she said, do you have a favourite clock? If so, which one is it? And why is it your favourite? Oh, now that's a good question. I have two favourite clocks at Blenheim, really. Right. The, the one we talked about with the sunburst pendulum. Yeah. Um, the reason I like it is the case that it's, it's a magnificent case in a way mm -hmm. it, it, with, with those it's got concave sides and, and, and that sort of dome top. It's a job yeah. to remember from, but it, it, it fascinates me that it does. I, I think that's a lovely, and it's big and it's impressive and, uh, and not too Rococo like some of the others. I, I, I like it very much, but probably my favorite clock is another regulator, which is outside the Duke's study. Right. That was made by, fully me, but it's got such lovely features. A gridiron pendulum, of course, again, uh, anti-friction rollers it has, jeweled pallets, maintaining power, uh, all of these technical things we, just, we can't go into now, but, um, but that's a magnificent clock. But it's very, very temperamental if it's not set up properly. But once it's set up and it's absolutely going beautifully, goes for years. Wow. Okay, that that's lovely. Um, then David Lewis, does does John have a workshop at the palace, or where where does he fix the clocks? Yes, that's right. Well, I I do what I can in the palace. Definitely, I I do quite a lot there, and I do have a private workshop in Oxford. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, lovely. Then um, there, there are two questions that, that are similar. Uh, one is um, a lady called Jill Bond and one is Stefan from New Zealand. Oh. And um, Jill says, do you have an apprentice or what will Blenheim do when you retire? 
And Stefan also says, is there anyone with the skills to do this job in the future when you retire? They don't know that you're never going to retire. Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have an apprentice, actually. No, and and of course the thing is nobody's indispensable. So somebody will come along and feel their way, and get into it, and uh, and and I'm sure that it'll carry on. Of course, yes. Oh, John, I think um, on that note, I, I'm I'm not going to keep you from that glass of wine. I think, oh. <laughs> um, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as. I have, and I'm sure everyone else listening as well. You have been absolutely magnificent. And just just how I expected you to be. So thank you so very, very much. Well, I hope you'll spare a thought for John next weekend. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then do share it with your friends and subscribe to it so that you receive a reminder when the next episode is released. Next week, I'm going to be talking to award-winning photographer Pete Seawood. Pete is responsible for taking some of the most amazing photos and videos, both inside the palace and out and about in the park. He can be spotted at all times of the day and night, sometimes heavily disguised, and he'll be giving us some tips on how to take that perfect shot. I do hope you'll join me.